And I guess in prison, if you say that B word, it means you better be ready to fight. And the guy comes in the room and he tried to fight me. I kind of, I beat him. I had him in a headlock. And then the two guys come in and they jump me, right? They, and I get beat up pretty bad. In Acts chapter 16 of the Bible, Paul and Silas are beaten and put inside a prison. Around midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God. That's right, they were singing. All the other prisoners were listening and observing. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake sent from God and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. What an incredible miracle story that happened inside a prison. I wonder, does God still work miracles in prison? Can God change the heart of a hardened criminal, a thief, a drug user, a drug dealer? Can God take that heart and make it soft again? Can he bring purpose to someone who has made so many bad choices? Can God use a felon to draw others to him? These are the questions that I want to ask our guest today as he continues his life change story with us. I'm Eric Hutchinson, and this is the If Nothing Changes podcast. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. It will bless your soul. So previously on Sean's story. I basically get handed drug dealer in a box, all of her connections, all of her drugs, all of the the um, all of the customers and, I, and I'm, it's just basically handed to me now to take over this operation. And I blow this operation up into something bigger than, than it was. Um, the thing was I was selling so much or enough that I couldn't even put a dent in my, if I got high all day long, every day, I wasn't even putting a dent in how much I had. I'd say when my son was about six months old, um, I go over to my connects house to go, re-up and get some more products and I get pulled over by a DEA agent. Okay. There's a DEA agent and four cop cars pull me over. They actually gave me a card, a business card of this female DEA agent. And they said, call this number. If you call this lady, we'll let you go. And I was like, I'll call her. Heck yeah. Give me that card. I'll call her. Sweet. I'll call her tomorrow. And they're like, okay, make sure you call that number. So they actually took a picture of me, the drugs, my driver's license in front of my truck and gave me the card. And they said, get the heck out of here. I take the card, I throw it out the window and I drive home. Fast forward three months from now and boom, six DEA agents just kick my door in AR-15s or whatever they use, M4s or whatever, just drawn on us. And uh, oh man, it was the worst day of my life. I ended up doing my own time. I ended up getting no sentence reduction for helping the authorities at all. The first thing they came back with was 19 and a half years. Now, luckily they didn't give me all that. When I went to sentencing, I was actually sentenced my first time to 13 and a half years. So my first time ever in trouble and I'm sentenced to 13 and a half years in federal prison. Um, so I ended up getting to prison, my first actual prison, which is Oakdale, Louisiana. And this was when I really when, when I really got it with God, like the relationship, I got to prison. I said, you know what? I got two choices now. I can say, man, that didn't work with God. He, I tried to use him. It didn't work. Like I'm done with that. But, but one thing that was really weird is I had never had a peace in my life. Like I did that whole time I was trying to use God. Like I was trying to use him, but there was this peace inside of me through the whole sentencing thing. And, and I had never felt that before. And 
And I really felt like it was him. So I said, you know what, even though I feel like he didn't necessarily give me what I was begging for, I've never felt this peace before. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to continue in this relationship with God and I'm going to go all in on this, on this God relationship, you know? And now the rest of Sean's story. Let me ask you a question. I'm sorry. Why did you go do time in Louisiana? Because it's a federal crime. You can go anywhere in the entire United States. If it was state, I would stay in Texas. Okay. So I spent my first two years at Oakdale, Louisiana. Um, when I went to prison, um, I'm close to 300 pounds. So I'm large. I'm like, I was out of shape, right? Because I, when I was on pretrial release and I had stopped doing drugs, I just ate pizza and drank beer and gained like probably 50 pounds just in depression. Just, you know what I mean? So now when I get to Oakdale, Louisiana, I have a couple of choices. Remember, I'm like, I can sit here and feel sorry for myself for this whole time I have to do in prison. Or I can figure out how every day I can make a step towards when I get out of prison, this wasn't just a complete waste of time. So a couple of things that I did was the first thing I did is I got a job teaching GED class um, to all the inmates that didn't have GEDs, which was so rewarding. I mean, teaching these 50, 60 year old guys how to read who have just never had that opportunity was really cool. Um, so that's what I did for my job. I started working out every day on the rec yard and started losing weight and getting results and had all these guys coming up to me like, hey, man, I don't know what you're doing, but can I work out with you? So I was training about 10 or 15 guys there that would come and work out with me. And then I started a Bible study, which was really cool because, and this is crazy about prisons, because if you, anybody knows anything about prisons, they're very, very segregated by race, white, black, Hispanic, like you, they're very segregated. Well, I'm from Philadelphia and all my friends growing up were like Puerto Rican and black. So that was not in me, right? So I started a Bible study and I didn't care what race you are, white, black, Hispanic, where I'm having a Bible study. I didn't care if the people's crimes were, you know, I got in trouble by some, and I'll explain for a second. I didn't care what their crimes were. I didn't care if they had a sexual crime. I didn't care if it was a drug crime. I didn't care what their crime was. I didn't even check that. I wanted you to come to this Bible study. So a couple months after doing that, I had these guys come up to me. They're Aryan Brotherhood or Aryan something. I don't even know exactly what it was and tell me. I know that you don't run with us, but you look like us and you can't be doing this because it makes us look bad. And I was like, I said, what? Like, no. Uh, and they were like, you can't do this anymore. And I used a word I shouldn't have used. I, I actually a whole phrase I shouldn't use. I said, F-U-B, the B word. And I guess in prison, if you say that B word, it means you better be ready to fight. All right. So I didn't really even know that. So they walk me, the three of them up to my room and the guy comes in the room and he tried to fight me. I kind of, I beat him. I had him in a headlock. And then the two guys come in and they jump me. Right. They, and I get beat up pretty bad, but I never stopped my Bible study and they never messed with me again after that. Like, I think they saw that I was willing to, that I wasn't going to back down, that I was willing and I believed in what I was doing. So they never messed with me again after that. And I really pray and hope that that Bible study is still going on because it was, it was something special. I mean, even COs would be like, we've never seen anything like this. Like, all different races and all different like charges all together, you know, like it, it was something that was really special. So let me ask you this question. Were you in a pod or a big room where there was a bunch of guys or did you have your own cell with another guy? I mean, what was your, what was it like? So there was a big day room and then off of the sides were the like rooms and each room was like a four person room. Okay. Four. Okay. That makes sense. So there's yes. four people in a room. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because when I got to that lo location, all the rooms where the white people were, were all full. So I got put in the rooms with, with Puerto Ricans and, and everyone on that yard for a long time thought I was Puerto Rican because I lived with the Puerto Rican guys and I get real dark in the summer. So it was kind of funny. And 
those guys really looked out for me. So that was, it was actually a blessing. So whenever you started your Bible study and it was open to any race or anybody. So, you know, I hear a lot in that in prison, there are gangs and there's, you know, they're segregated and everything else. So did they, did you ever get, did anyone ever try to recruit you into a certain gang or into a certain thing, or because you were in the Bible study, you were a little shielded from that? No, especially the first place they tried to bring me into that, but I'm the type of person I'm way too independent. Like, I'm not going to go fight this guy because you have a problem with him. Do you know what I mean? So yes, there was a couple groups that asked me to come and be a part of them and um, never too pressurous. I think that people could tell that I, that's not what I stood for, especially because they would see me and I would interact with everybody, you know, all different races. So they knew that that just wasn't going to be something that I would fly with. Um, and the independent is what they call it. The people that stay by themselves is almost like its own group. You know what I mean? Because the independent people kind of stick together, but I would, I tried to avoid all that stuff as much as possible. I spent a lot of time, you know, like I was saying in studying for my, you know, personal training certifications. And I actually had a Selly who uh, worked out with me. His name was doc Samford Myers. He we worked out together and he was like, Sean, you have a gift for this training stuff. He's like, if this is something that you want to do uh, for a living, I would love to help you, you know, pay for your certifications while we're in here. So while I was living with doc, um, he ended up paying for me to get four personal training certifications in prison. So, and, and you'll see that just kind of like really was like the trajectory of my life from that point on. So that was really special. So where did you start? You started the Bible study. Was there a turning point for you inside where you were like, you know what, I think I'm going to do this. Or did you just start uh, studying the Bible with your roommates or, you know, your cellmates and then it just grew or, or was that a plan thing? No, I love that question because there was a guy that showed up when I was in the, when I was in the first place where I was waiting sentencing, right? There was a guy that showed up every single Tuesday and he would sit there even, and he was from the outside. Like he was like a guy that would come in a prison pastor kind of, and he was there every single Tuesday. And there was days where nobody would go sit with that guy. And I was like, why does he still keep coming back? So I actually ended up talking to this guy and, and spending a lot of time with this guy and just, I don't agree necessarily with his beliefs, um, and I still don't, uh, but the fact that he loved Jesus. So I just started just some guys that were, you know, studying the Bible together, and I was like, hey, you want to, you know, and they would ask me what I was doing, and I'm like, hey, come join me. And I think that we had close to 30 people by the end of it. While I was doing the Bible study, I was also going to the law library and working on my case because I didn't think that, the, that my sentencing was right. So once I did all this legal work, I figured it all out. And I sent it to my mom and my mom hired a lawyer. I actually won an appeal that took me from 13 and a half years down to nine years. Oh. Then Obama gave everybody in prison two years off for, um, for any drug charges that were nonviolent. So that took me from nine years to seven years. And I ended up doing six years on it because I also got a year off for a drug program. So here's the whole jail process for me to just kind of make it make a little bit more sense. I started at a pretrial unit in Fort Worth, was sent to Oakdale, Louisiana, and I was there for two years, was then sent to Forest City, Arkansas. I was there for two years and then finished in Texarkana, Texas, where I was there for two years. So I ended up doing six years total. Okay. So did your wife and son, did you get to see them during this time period or not? So good question. Um, I ended up telling my wife in the very beginning, Hey, let's not do this. Like, I want you to go your own way. I'm, I'm thinking I have 13 and a half years. I love you. Um, 
never going to hold anything against you for any of this, but like, please don't wait for me. Answer the phone when I call, because I want to talk to Caden. Like I want to be in his life. And my mom, I mean, she did a good job of bringing him, you know, once every six months or so, but my mom was the rock that brought him every month, the entire time I was in prison. So I got to see my son at least once a month in prison visitation, but, but we were able to kind of establish in federal prisons good about having like father, you know, fathering events where that you can come in and actually not just like sit there with your son, they'll have different activities and things that you can do. Um, you have to take a class, but at the end of that class, the reward is you get this special visit with your kid. So um, it was mostly my mom that, uh, that brought my son so we could keep that relationship going. What was the most difficult thing? So you were there for six years. What was the most difficult challenge that you faced during that time period? A hundred percent having my son growing up without me because I wanted to be the dad that my dad was to me. Like my dad, I put my dad on the pedestal, man. He was, my dad was amazing father. And always, I always wanted to do, to be that type of father to my kid. I just, that addiction made me forget that, you know? So that was, I mean, that's it. A hundred percent was being away from my son and him growing up without me. So you were in jail for six years. Um, what was it like getting out? I was excited because I knew that I had put all the work in. Like, so I learned how to stop believing all the lies and the excuses and the justifications that I used to tell myself um, and learn how to like hold myself more accountable. And so I was like excited. I wasn't scared. So when I got out, they sent me to a halfway house, um, the halfway house. I was only there for one month before I went on home confinement with my mom. And you have to do six months of this pre-trial. I mean, this post-release time. It could either be all in the halfway house or some mixed up. So I did a month in the halfway house and then five months on pre-trial release where they call like whenever and I have to answer the phone. And it has to be a landline. Um, I could go to work and I got blessed with a job um, at a gym called uh, Fit Body Bootcamp training as a personal trainer. $12 and 50 cents an hour. That's how sad it was. My goal was to make $12 and 50 cents an hour. I wanted to make $500 a week so I could get an efficiency apartment, get a place for my son, get a little cheap car. Like my ambitions were knocked all the way down. Hum prison is very humbling. So that's going great. So I'm training at this gym and I'm like, I'm so proud of it. And I'm bringing all these people into his gym and I'm growing it. And then I, I meet this girl there named Christy who is working and, and now granted at this time, me and my ex-wife are divorced and we're, we're no longer together. Um, and she's actually still kind of struggling with that street life. Uh, the life is before she's still kind of in that when I get out of prison six years later, and my son is living with my mom. So I come home and I'm working at that gym and me and this girl start building this relationship. And it's really special. I mean, I don't say this to pat myself on the back, but we were doing it like in a godly way. Like we're at church every Sunday. We waited to have sex till we got married. I mean, we really wanted to like do it right. So I really wanted to make sure that we like honored God in our relationship. And after we've been talking for about two or three months, she's working out of that gym that I'm working at. She says, Sean, you're really like good at this. Why don't we open our own gym? And I chuckle and I laugh. I'm like, I have a right now I have a 490 credit score and $17 to my name. And I thought I ran her off with that. I was like, oh man, she's about to, she doesn't want to be with me anymore. Why did I say that? But she didn't, she didn't run off. And a couple months later, uh, now that I'm a little bit more established, I'm off that pretrial release or the, you know, the home supervision thing, I'm off of that. 
Um, she brings it up again, like Sean, I really think that we need to open our own gym. I feel like she says, I feel like the Lord's telling me that we need to open a gym. And I was like, Christy, you know, I don't have the resources. Like my family's not, doesn't have the resources like that. Like she goes, Sean, I have the money. And I was like, I had no idea. No idea. I, I was with this girl cause I loved her. Cause I thought she was really special and she had the money to do it. So the first year of me being out of prison, the first thing I did was get custody of my son, legal custody of my son. And not like it was like a battle or nothing, but, but it was something that was important to me. So I get legal custody of my son. My wife and I get married. And then three months after that, so within, we opened the first gym. So within one year of getting out, I have full custody of my son. I'm married and we have a gym that just took off. The gym just, it, it was all God. Like I couldn't have planned it to be any better. I mean, the bills were paid at the gym. Within the first month, we were already profiting in a brand new business. Wow. So tell me about your son, Caden. So whenever you got out of prison, how old was he? He was six years old. Okay. So he was six. Or so six and a half. Yeah. Six and a half. So what was the, how did that, how did you rebond that relationship? And maybe I know you probably had some communication with him while you were in prison, but what was yeah. it like coming out of prison and trying to get close to your son again? Was he really receptive to that or how did that work? He gave me all the grace in the world. That little boy was so ready for, he needed a dad. He needed his dad's attention. He was at the age where, you know, he had women around. And, but I mean, it was from day one, me and him have been like super close. I mean, he forgave me immediately. Um, and we have a, such an open relationship where I can explain, talk to him about my past and talk to him about all the things, the mistakes that I made and, and apologize to him for not being there. And he, he forgives me, you know, and he, and hopefully it can, he can learn from it. And I pray not go down that same path or make any decisions like I did because I'm so open with him about it, you know? So whenever you got out of prison, was there any temptation at all to go back into the life that you were before, or was that totally out of your you know, out of your sight. I put way too much effort and into building what I wanted to have afterwards. Like, and I spent a lot of time on thinking about, you know, what's and that drug program really helped me, man, that drug program, because I would lie to myself and fall for my, you know, thinking patterns, like these lies that I would tell myself, I would fall for them before, like, oh, it's okay. You can get it just one time or, or you can do this and that. And you know what I mean? And then I would fall for my own lies. But I think that I had put up a lot of safeguards and I had so many people that I was now sharing who I was and what was going on with me that I had so much you know, protection to keep me from falling. So do you and your wife go to church somewhere now? Or are you guys involved? How, how do you guys get involved spiritually? And I'm, you know, Caden's with you now. So, yeah. I mean, are you guys going together as a family? I mean, what's, what's that like? We never miss a Sunday in church. I mean, if we're on vacation, we might, we go to Life Church, Craig Rochelle's Life Church here in Mansfield. And we absolutely love it. And we serve. We, um, my son serves on the tech team. My son's been serving for two, three years. Um, he loves it. My son loves the Lord, man. And he's, and my wife is, and I'm trying to work on this. This is not, this is a confession. This isn't for something I'm proud of. My wife is kind of more of the spiritual leader in our household, you know, and it's, and I know that that's my role. And I, and I'd say that just because I'm trying to be honest. It's something that I'm still trying to step into. And I'm like, I'm putting the effort in. I'm trying to get there. But her faith is stronger than mine. So now you told me that you have two gyms, yeah. right? In between, there's something I'm really proud of in between. Uh, so the first gym kind of took off and it was like, 
doing its own thing. I mean, I'm here just high-fiving people and like, you know, but I have trainers that are training and they're killing it and I've got great staff. And, you know, so um, I got asked by this police officer here in Arlington to come and share my testimony with um, with this school. And the school is called Turning Point Academy. And it's an alternative school here in Arlington. So all the kids that have been kicked out of school for like fighting or drugs or whatever get sent to this school. So I went to that school and I shared my testimony with these kids and it was powerful. Like these kids were so engaged. Um, they were asking great questions. Like I could tell they were thirsty for like this knowledge, you know? And at the end of it, the counselor came out and said, how many of you guys have a father figure or a male role model like this in your household? And like three of the 33 kids raised their hand. And I like literally driving home, I was in tears. And I was like, okay, God, like, I get it. I know what you want me to do. That night I filed for my 501c3 nonprofit. Um, and I started what's called, so the gyms are called Second Chance Fitness. And then I started Second Chance Mentors. So um, what we do is we go into the alternative schools and we spend time with these kids and, and we build a relationship with them. And if they decide they wanna be in our program, they can apply for our program. And if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing every four months, so three times a year, we take them and buy them a pair of like retro Jordans with money that we get donated to the program. So is this so a volunteer of, thing that the kid volunteers or is it something that the parents can say, no, you're doing this or whatever? We won't even take a request from parents. The kids have to apply and want to be in the program. I get calls all the time from parents saying, my son needs this program. I'm like, that's not how we work. I go directly to the schools and form a relationship with these kids. And if they want to apply for the program, now their parents do have to sign off on it, but we're not like, I'm not going to chase a kid around. The kid's got to want to be here. The kid's got to want to get help. Um, the common denominator in our program, and it didn't necessarily mean to be this way, is none of these kids have fathers, man. It's just really sad. Well, I think one of the, we have 14 kids in the program right now, and only one of them has a, a dad that's around. Um, and how can you ever know how to grow up to be a man or to be a father or how to be like, if you've never seen it modeled for you, you know? And I don't mean to make it like single, I've seen single mothers raise amazing kids. So like, but I bet you that a lot of them had some sort of male role model in their life somewhere to, to model after, you know what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes if we don't have that male role model or we don't know how to even look at God, you know, I mean, a lot of times, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Sometimes our it's view a, of God is our so uh, who what the way our father treated us or didn't treat us or whatever. So good. And that and that's a huge hindrance in some of these guys' relationships because we talk about God as our father. And immediately to a kid who's never had a father or had like a bad father, they're like, Oh, I don't want anything to do with God. He'll leave me. And that's so good. We talk about that all the time. But that correlation between God, the father, and these absent fathers is definitely um, a hindrance on their faith. So let me ask you this. So it sounds to me like you're that that God has given you this incredible story, and that you are using that He's using you, and that you're inf influencing so many people through all of this. Sounds like your family's all in with it as well. So where, um, what would you recommend, or what would you, what advice would you give to someone who's listening? And you know how podcasts go. Um, is that people listen and they and they wonder, gosh, can I really change? We we talk about in recovery uh, that insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So, uh, you know, we listen to your story. We say, man, you know, Sean broke out of this life and God is using him. So what advice would you give to someone who's listening who maybe is going the wrong direction? They know they're going the wrong direction. They just don't know how to break out of that. So what advice would you give them if they're listening to this uh, right now? It's, it's such a good question. And 
the answer is always the same for me because it was the only way I was able to do it. And you can call it, some people call it a mentor. Some people call it a sponsor, but mine is find somebody that you want to be like, that you see their life and you're like, I want that. That's walked in what you've walked through. That's done what you want to do, that you respect, that you look up to and ask that person. And a lot of times people are like nervous to do and but ask them straight up. Hey, will you be my mentor? Like, I, some people, you know, in AA or NA or Celebrate Recovery, there's a lot of calling it a sponsor, right? Um, I, a mentor. I think it's a very similar thing. But I think the biggest thing to do to help someone is find a mentor. I think that that's like something that's, and I've found multiple in my life that I utilize all the time. Um, and it's been really huge on me for accountability, for just hoping I don't fall into this, you know, helping me not fall into the same traps that they've fallen in and, and vice versa. So I know you've got a podcast, and I want to give you an opportunity to plug that a little bit. Tell us about your podcast, why you started it, and how can people tune in to hear it? Awesome, and thank you for that, man. It's uh, it's called Forgiven AF. A lot the AF part, you know what people think it normally means, and it catches their attention. And I like that. That's why I wanted to do it. The AF to me stands for Always Faithful, um, but it's just Forgiven Space Capital A Capital F, and it's on everything pod- Spotify, you know. Uh, Apple Podcasts. It's on all the platforms, YouTube, Forgiven AF Podcast. The website is second with a two, secondchancementors.org. Um, we keep up to date with what we're going on. And if people are, you know, willing to, you know, pour into our cause, there's, you can do it through there. So that's really cool. And then my name is Sean, S-H-E-W-N, last name Surface, S-E-R-F-A-S-S. I know it's strange. Um, so Facebook or Instagram is at Sean. The number two, second chance. Um, we do a lot of stuff on Instagram. And thank you for allowing me to share that because connecting with people is really special to me. And I love getting getting what we're doing out. Let me ask you one last question. So you're talking to a kid, you know, whatever. He's 10 to 15 years old. And he says, my dad left me. I don't have a dad. And um, I don't, you know, see God being any different than me. What do you tell kids that their father, their real life father has abandoned them or they don't have one? I mean, where do you go from there? No, that's great. And I tell them the same thing. Like God gives us all free will. God gives us all free will to make our own decisions. If God wanted to make us robots that were just like, God, where are you? And followed us. He could have done that, but he wanted us to choose him. But at the same time, he gave us free will to go either direction. So the fact that your father chose to live a selfish life and not put you as a priority like he should have does not have a correlation on God's feelings about you or the way God looks at you. Um, your father chose to go that route. You know what I mean? And But don't let that you know affect the way that, that God looks at you or that you look at God. Thanks, Sean, for sharing your story with us. Hey, if you are listening today, do you remember the story that I told you at the beginning of this episode about Paul and Silas in prison? Well, that was only part of their story. After God's earthquake made the prison doors fly open and the chains of the prisoners fall off, the guard who was there started to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped, but they hadn't escaped. Paul yelled out, stop! We are still here. The guard ran to Paul and Silas trembling and said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What a powerful statement. Maybe you're listening to this and you aren't in an actual prison, 
but maybe you have created your own prison. Maybe you have something in your life that has kept you from joy, peace, and purpose. I want to encourage you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and put your faith in Him. He can change your life and give you purpose, but you must be willing to let Him in because if nothing changes, nothing changes. See you next time.